All right. Welcome. Welcome to Soul Talk, where we talk about issues of the soul. This is podcast number three. And, you know, back to why uh, this whole podcast is called Soul Talk. You know, we are so similar, aren't we, in our deepest longings for love, for belonging, to be seen, to be held, to be heard, to be known, to be embraced for who we fundamentally are, right? And our stories and our skins and our systems and our situations and our sensitivities, they're all so different yet. Aren't we all so very similar at the core of what it is to be human, right? The deepest things we want are all pretty much the same, I think. This is what it is to talk at a soul level, to talk from those places, and that's why we're here. That's why we're doing what we're doing. And so today, I get to talk to my friend for the better part of 20 years with whom I, in actuality, spend barely any time with. (laughs) So this is a phenomenally grace-filled excuse brought on by, frankly, challenging times. But I want to welcome, as I know you listeners will, Davia Stevenson. She is a licensed professional counselor. She's the mother of two phenomenal adult sons and a daughter in love. She's been married to Eric, who is also phenomenal, for 33 years, with whom they have partnered together in multiple entrepreneurial enterprises. She is a two-time cancer overcomer. She's an avid traveler. I, I think the family has done some sort of craziness where they've been to every continent between the four of them, except for Antarctica or something like that. (laughs) She's an advocate in many service organizations and she is African-American. So would you welcome with me my friend Davia Stevenson, consummate professional, consummate person, and definitely a Christ follower. So Davia, would you tell the listener a little bit about you know, kind of what you think might be important for them to know about you. And if you want, then tell us a little bit about, you know, how you're doing right now. Well, I think you summarized me up pretty well. (laughs) I don't know. There's a lot to add. I'm really proud of the men my sons have become. They've been um, particularly a compass for me during uh, recent kind of uh, events and the atmosphere right now in the country. Um, so I'm really grateful for them, and seems like we did some things right. <laughs> pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> that is you, awesome. You never know for sure. <laughs> I mean, that is awesome. Uh, they're, they're awesome men. 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 They're men. Yeah, wow. right. I still want to call them kids. And my daughter in love is um, this beautiful woman, physically stunningly beautiful, but um, creative and wise, and she's an encourager to her soul. Lauren is like sunshine. It's just amazing. That's awesome. So I'm really grateful for my people. And um, gosh, how am I doing? I am in a really, if I can be frank, one thing Tammy knows about me is um, I'm not real good at talking around things. (laughs) I feel like God has, um, for his reasons, allowed me to, uh, he's preserved my life. Each of my cancer stories are pretty amazing. Yes. And I can admit that I don't know that I ever quite know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, So I just show up as I am and trust him to do what he does. (laughs) So how am I today? Today's a pretty good day, but I've been really, really um, emotional. Those who know me aren't surprised about my being emotional. 
but uh, it's been hard. And um, I'm surprised at how hard it's been for me and how emotional I've been. Um, I was chatted just a little bit with, with Tammy before um, we talked about doing this. And I said, I'd seen a, a video. I wish I could give the man credit. I don't know his name. Mm-hmm. But he, the part of it I saw seemed to capture how I feel right now. He says that African-Americans, many of us in this country, we live with a sort of a level of pain. Mm-hmm. If you think about going to the doctor for surgery or something, and, and uh, which I've done many times, so I've seen this chart mm-hmm. where you rate your pain from 1 to 10. Right. And um, to, to, to gauge your pain tolerance, what might you need to, to be able to tolerate more? Um, and I think we live at a two, a three, a four. There are always these these little insults or little microaggressions that most of us are completely unaware of. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think anyone intends them, is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. And I think that's an important word that stuck out to me the first time you said it, was microaggressions, just yeah. for the listener yeah. to sort of yeah. slow that down yeah. for Yeah, microaggressions. So. Sometimes you'll hear microabrasions, is <laughs> what my husband calls them. Mm-hmm. Like micro- paper cuts. Like paper cuts. Yeah. Small cuts. Um, and you can overlook them. And it seems as since the death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the Maude Aubrey, um, the scab's been ripped off. And I feel all the pain, <laughs> it seems. And I think that's what you're seeing in America right now with the, with the protesting and people are in pain. Um, so it's, you know, I have my two grown sons. Um, they're big, handsome, muscular, <laughs> brown-skinned men. Mm-hmm. And um, I worry for their lives, for simple things. wonder if somebody's going to get, if they're going to get pulled over for a traffic ticket. Or um, one of my sons likes to run in the metro parks. That's his exercise. He's often by himself. Or he'll just have his headset on and a, and a book and go sit somewhere by a stream or what have you. He, he calms in the outdoors. I don't know where he is. He's grown. He doesn't tell me when he's going to the park. I might find out later. Um, now I live with this anxiety. Where are they? What are they doing? Has anyone? It's, it's, it's a lot. It's more than I recall ever feeling, being so presently aware of hmm. um, prior to the last few weeks. Uh, I don't know what that means exactly. Um, when you ask me, would I be willing to have this conversation? Um, my impulse is to say yes, cause it's you. <laughs> and then I said, I'm, give me just a minute to think about it, um, and pray about it. Um, because if I have a conversation for your listeners to hear, I want it to be, I'm not sure what I want it to be. I want it to be, um, I'm fine with it being uncomfortable. I should say that. I'm okay if people are a bit uncomfortable after this conversation, but I want it to be healing or moving in the direction of healing. Sure, that's your heart. Um, I um, I don't want to be fully expressive of the emotion that I'm feeling because mm-hmm. it's a lot. It's fear, it's sadness, it's anger. I'm very angry. And I know there's the stereotype of the angry black woman. Mm. I might be able to shed some light on that woman for you. Mm. Um, she's got a lot of reasons to be angry. Mm. Um, Is it too far to say that sort of the Band-Aid being ripped off has given a permissiveness to an anger that is not 
allowed to be expressed at mm. other times that has to be kept under wraps? Is that what you're... I don't think there's any permission given for this anger. Mm -hmm. yeah. No, I don't think there's any permission. Protest, the protest, protest peacefully, so, you know, you don't disturb my peace. Um, but peaceful protest isn't met with with reception either. So no, I don't think there's any permission, mm. not outside of myself or outside of other black mothers or black families who mm. may get it. Um, that was a great question though, but no, I don't f necessarily feel permitted. I'm really being impacted um. by how you're saying, yeah, there's, there's something over top of the everyday existence two or three that we live at. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that is removed right now. It is. It is. And so, how do I act? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. I have, I have um, a client load, and I'm, um, do I take some time off because I'm emotional? Um, do I respond with authenticity when they ask me how you're feeling? Um, I did have a, a session this week, I think it was. Um, the smallest thing, I just burst into tears. Mm. It was a, um, a white mom and her little girl, because um, we're doing telehealth now, and um, a little girl interrupted her and jumped up on her lap with her baby, her black baby doll. And I lost it. I lost it. And and she, it was a really interesting, I thought maybe I should, you know. Pay her. Should, yeah, pay her <laughs> by the time we were done. But she, I love, it was hopeful. I love that it was just her baby doll. It wasn't a thing to this mom for her daughter to have a black baby doll. She says, well, that's what she liked. Yeah. It wasn't a thing. And I love that. I'm like, I would have loved to have had that doll. That's right. When I was a little girl. It wasn't an option. So when you talk about that's a that's a that's a little it's a little cut. Yeah. Right? When you don't see yourself validated in play play things even. Yes. Well, I know that even in you and I talking, you know, I fear to represent because I wouldn't want to misrepresent some of your micro mm -hmm. aggressions, but things like, you know, I happen to know that you live in a stunning home and you know, when I said, give me some examples of microaggressions. Actually, I don't even know if I said that. You just started sort of sharing some of those. And, you know, you said when somebody would come to the door and sort mm -hmm. of look a little bit past you, like, mm -hmm. where's the lady of the house? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, your husband is um, very prolific in his ownership of multiple franchises of various entrepreneurial enterprises. And when there are people on site looking to speak with the owner, they will look towards his white operator mm -hmm. and his white operator will say no Eric and point them towards Eric and say he is the owner like that happens daily daily and Eric you said Eric deals with it just beautifully no big deal to him mm -hmm. but those are the types of microaggressions it's kind of like this is just a part of our life that we deal with on a regular basis mm -hmm. yes those are the small ones mm -hmm. Then there are the um, the interactions that say my the, so maybe that little microaggression is a and I say that's a two, right? Worked sure. hard to be there, would like to be recognized, but Eric's a businessman, so he's 
just trying to make the best deal and your money's green. So he's good with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> which was why he worked in the restaurants and I stayed home <laughs> and did admin in the beginning <laughs> till we could grow. So um, I think, Tammy, you've heard this story. Um, a small example. When we first moved to our community, it was within the first few days. I know we hadn't been there a week. And my son was out riding his bike. We we moved in on a street with lots of little boys that are around, were around the youngest one's age. And, and that's what we had hoped for. And, and he's still friends with many of them to this day. And uh, he was on his bicycle. And someone had called the police and said that two African-American teenagers had stolen a mountain bike from their garage. So the police come to investigate and they see this little black boy on a bicycle. They turn on light bar and siren and pull Evan over. Now, at first, he's excited. He's like, I must have a clue. The police must need my help. Now, I'm, this is the first week in the house, and I am, um, I'm, I'm back in the house doing things. I, it was my first day going out. I had gone to Target or somewhere, so I'd actually dressed. And I had a sundress on and my hair done, some makeup on. I, 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 I guess I look like I could live in my house. And um, when I was doing something and couldn't find the phone. That's not unusual. Anybody that knows me. So my neighbor handled it. I didn't, she tried to call me. I didn't, I was doing stuff. I got get it later kind of thing. I'll have to find it. And um, so she tells me what happens that the police pull Evan over and they ask Evan, they tell Evan that um, um, if you tell the truth, you won't get in trouble. So now he's starting to feel a little something. And then they ask him, did he steal a bike with another black kid? Now, this is, you know, you've seen my son as this big man. This He was a runt when, when he yes, was eight, yeah. eight years old. He it's was a kid. little boy on a little boy bike. Yes. And now he's nervous. Um, finally, I hear the message. I look out the street. He's still playing. I come on back in. A few minutes later, Evan comes in the house. And when he sees me, he falls into my arms crying. And I'm mad now. I am calling those officers, and I'm going to find out. You're going to owe me an apology, explain something to me. When, you, when he pointed, when they asked where he lived, he says, right there. And you could see that the garage door was up, and my car was there. You should have brought him home. He was a minor. And asked, so am I going to deal with a civil rights violation? What am I doing here? So, but when I told him I was going to call the police, he starts crying, please don't call the police. They might take you away. That's the sad thing in this story to me, that it turned from, they must need my help, I must have a clue, to, oh, no, if you call them, they might take you away. Mm -hmm. We were so new in the neighborhood that we didn't realize that we were covered by the township police and not the city police. And so finally got to the right police officers. They did come. Um, The things I have to think about, when you think about little, little things that wear on you, I was glad that that day I put on a sundress and had some makeup on because I walked out to the curb to greet the officers and welcome them to my home. We're in this neighborhood less than a week, and in one day the police have been on our street twice. We're the only black family on the street. I've got to think about that. So I did. I walked them out, came in, we had our conversation. I walked them back to their car, shook hands, whatnot. So I think the sad thing in that story, and, and this son in particular has had numerous Davia, interactions. Davia, there's more than one sad thing in that story, if I may interrupt. Mm-hmm. But keep going. Well, I just think that his perception was changed so quickly. That's what breaks my heart. Um, what I'm grateful for is that my older son wasn't the one that was outside. He was only 12, but he looked like he was 15. 
My fear is if they didn't bring an eight-year-old 100 yards down the street, you could tell there was a parent there, might have taken my 12-year-old in. Neither one of them knew the phone number or address yet. We just got there. I, I don't, I, that's supposition. I don't know that that would happen, so I don't dwell on that. Um, that, was, that was our welcome to the community. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, an affluent community. This is not, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, another place and time. Not where, not where it's more expected. Right. Um, right. I don't know that it's any better. Yes. But it's certainly um, a cloak of, um, of uh, protection or difference. And so I, I really am appreciating, and I know the listeners are, just a sense of, yeah, it makes sense how this is more exposed right now and the pain is more out there. And I really appreciate your first person just a little bit even giving us what that's like. You did say to me that it is, on one level, nice to be hearing from your friends, particularly Mm -hmm. your white friends, Mm -hmm. that it's nice to be hearing from them. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, it's a little wearying. Mm -hmm. I didn't know if you wanted to talk about that at all. It is definitely meaningful to hear from those who I think care about me and I care about um, that their eyes are opening to a new level. of there's There's a curiosity, but not just for curiosity's sake but for understanding that is amazing and validating. And I do think something special is happening right now because of these um, incidents being caught on film. Um, So that's neat. Um, But yeah, I feel like I've been kind of sharing these things, folks. If if you know me, I kind of mention these things. I don't run around with it as a, because remember there, there's a pain tolerance. So I, don't even respond to um, simple comments, um, phrases in the lexicon that um, we use that you don't even know that they have that they have impact. Can I share one? And you sure. can decide to delete this if you want to. Sure. You just said that sometimes she cracks the whip. Mm. Where'd Tell that us. come from? Tell us. Who was whipped? Right. Who's who? Where did that come from? Yeah. We all use that phrase. Right. But that's, it it means a little something to me, different to me than it probably does to you. Right? Now, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying now you're going to be afraid to talk. We want, no, it's kind of part of the American, people use it. I've probably used it. Um, But today, I'm more aware of those little things. Mm -hmm. I'm more, I I don't have a scab anymore. Mm -hmm. Whereas I may not have even observed that comment as anything other than she kind of keeps you in line, keeps things going, mm-hmm. um, which is what you meant. Mm-hmm. Um, today was like, I know what that meant. And so by today, you are saying, like the rest of the country, this past two weeks, something has changed in you as well. Some of it brings encouragement. Uh-huh. We're all tired. We're tired. Um, tired of seeing those images over and over. Everyone's tired of that. Whether you're a black person or not, I think you're tired of seeing that. But it's real. And those weren't just three incidents. It's probably three million incidents over the history. Um, And we can't turn a blind eye to it now um, or numb ourselves to it now. So that's exciting. And that feels like an uprising, like something is happening in that we're growing to a place, those who choose, 
where we can have an appreciation of each other's experience in this country and then maybe do some things to make it better and live up to um, its ideals. We all, this is home. We don't have a place to go back to. I was born in Ohio. This is home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you said, you said, I feel like the world is listening right now. And Seems that's exciting. Yeah. And you did yeah. say, and if you just want to say a quick word about this, you did say, I, I don't want the fringe things to get in the way. And you did mention, like, for instance, the looting. And you also mentioned, and I appreciate what you had to say, at least just to me off, you know, off the cuff a little bit about white guilt getting in the way as well. You want to say anything about either one of those? Sure. Um, so I certainly feel that those who, especially those who don't want to hear or who are accustomed to being able to turn off the TV to bad news or, you know, why are they always complaining? You don't like it here, go home kind of thing. This is home. Everyone addresses the looting and the, and the rioting, the glass breaking, that type of thing. And first of all, the vast majority of protesters are not looters. The looting doesn't seem to happen until after a whole day of peaceful protesting <laughs> when the sun goes down. I've never seen a looter with a sign. They're different people. Um, some are opportunists. Some may be protesters who are screaming. I don't know. But it's not the majority, it's not the story, it's not the cause. And we're focusing on the scream as opposed to the pain. That's frustrating to me. And then there's this space, and I think it's necessary, I thought about that, about white guilt. I think the white guilt represents discomfort. And it may be the avenue to opening eyes, I I don't know. But I don't want to hear, oh gosh, I feel so bad being a white people, my people, my... That is how God made you. You are made in the image of God. You're part of his image. There's nothing wrong with you being white anymore than there's anything wrong with me being black or this person being brown or however we simplify our skin tones with with primary color names, right? (laughs) You don't feel guilt about being white, I hope. I hope what that means or what that feels like is I'm feeling uncomfortable with the fact that I may have been inadvertently participating in something that's oppressive and I didn't know it and I didn't know it because I didn't have to know it. And now I'm starting to see and I feel so bad about it. Okay, I appreciate that as if it's a gateway to understanding. If you're just feeling guilty for guilt's sake, um, it's not moving any needle forward. That's for you to work out with your God. <laughs> I'm tired of talking to you, but let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> and boy, that underscores how thankful I am that oh, you God. are here spending time <laughs> you make talking easy, to <laughs> another white person. Yeah, so, you know, truly how focusing in on believers because that's pr- predominantly who I believe we're talking to mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And listeners, thank you for tuning in. How do you want to encourage both white and black believers about their unique position, as one's called by God, to proceed in this time? I say start with, as I am doing, because I'm not exactly sure how I'm proceeding. Yeah. Um, I'm listening. <laughs> I'm really listening to the Holy Spirit. I'm listening to God. I'm listening to others who share my experience. I'm trying to listen to those who are awakening. I need to also know that there are more experiences than mine happening. And so I might need to listen to your experience. Mm -hmm. So in these conversations that I've been having with friends, primarily white friends, but with my black friends, just different conversations, 
I think there's an opportunity to understand one another's perspective, one another's experience. I know right now um, I'm talking about my experience and how it feels to be a black woman and a black mother and a part of a community that doesn't see me. I guess what I'm saying is I'm not having the only experience that needs mm-hmm. hearing. Yeah. But my son wrote something on a post in social media right after the um, video of, um, of uh, George Floyd's murder um, was captured. And he said uh, a few things, but this is what I want to capture. Black outrage and white guilt, while both 100% appropriate, alone won't change a thing. Significant and lasting positive social change has only ever resulted from cross-cultural unified efforts. Mm. And that begins with conversations. That is awesome. That begins with conversations. Don't be afraid to say the wrong thing. We don't all know what the right thing is. Don't be afraid of that. If you're trying to engage for the purpose of understanding, if you know that We're all made in the image of God. We're all bearing his image, and this isn't what he would want. Think about your children despising one another, hurting one another, missing one another, uh, dismissing one another. As a mother, wouldn't that hurt? This isn't what God has in mind for us. I am so thankful you just said what you said, because this past week in my counseling endeavors, I have found people more paralyzed Just to a degree that is overwhelming in this particular instance because they feel like they can't move. Because if I do this, I'm criticized. If I don't do this, I'm criticized. If I speak now, it's where have you been? If They're criticized no matter which direction they move. And I have seen a level of paralysis this week because they're just afraid to move. Now, of course, those are white people that I'm talking about. They feel like they can't do anything right in any direction. And so I love the fact that you said, listen, it's fine. There's a grace. Just where you are, is just as long as you're listening and trying to move and trying to engage wherever you are. So if you had uh, a parting word of love and power to leave with your white brothers and sisters, what would it be? Try not to be distracted by the noise. Listen to the pain. If you're approaching your black friend, another white friend, what have you, with curiosity to understanding, it's okay. It's okay. If you say a word that you think is wrong or you don't know, or you're, you're not aware. That's what privilege is. I just want to mention that just for a moment. Just talk a little bit about privilege. Everybody yeah. talks about white privilege. And many feel like, I'm not privileged. What do you mean? I don't have any privilege. I get up, I work every day. I, that's not what I mean. I mean, you are not denied or you are not unseen or what have you by virtue of your skin tone. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned when I was a little girl, I didn't have black baby dolls. You did. You've always had dolls uh, that, or, or celebrities or standards of beauty that you could meet. Um, that you could recognize yourself. You never felt systemically invisible or judged without merit just because your skin's a certain color. And it's a color God gave me. So I just think risk it. Risk conversations. Your friend might be tired, but they'll appreciate it. Do you have any uh, uh, one parting word of love and power for your black brothers and sisters, if there happen mm. to be any listening? Mm. <laughs> I, if they happen to be any I mean, <laughs> let's be like real. 
Because we're real right here. I have the same client base that you do, girl. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say it earlier, but yeah. you're so awesome. Yeah. You're so awesome. I would still say, same thing, actually. Be patient. Be patient. I think there is an awakening. I really do. And it's an awakening after 400 years. So even as it moves, it's going to be groggy. <laughs> like, let's be patient. Let's move on systems and not on individuals. That Let's not do what we have felt singled out as individuals for um, the way God made us. Um, let's not do the same thing. That's so good. Davia, as I have, you know, gotten to watch your life, I have been amazed at the level of humility that I have seen you navigate these spaces for years. You've always done it with humility. You have never not carried yourself with grace, and yet you have never been meek or unashamed of even an agenda, let alone a reality, and afraid to make people like have to confront the uncomfortability of that, but you've never, ever shoved a thing in anybody's face. That balance has been unbelievable to just even have. I haven't had a front row seat for hardly ever. You know, we had a short time when that was the case. But even having, you know, a couple rows removed and hearing reports of your life, I have been amazed at how you've been able to do that. And I believe that God has used you mightily for many people's lives and that that is carrying over into a really critical time such as this. So I praise him for your life. And so I'm going to ask the listeners to continue to pray favor on your family because you, you actually do have quite a broad influence in behind closed doors as a counselor, but you guys have a pretty public ministry and public influence as well because of your entrepreneurial enterprises and your consulting work with many people that I'm going to ask God to continue to expand. But I also want to ask God for all of us that, you know, I think he has given us the way to move forward in these times very clearly in the example of Jesus and his word. And Paul wrote it in Philippians 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any tenderness and compassion, Paul says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Here it is. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who... Being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But instead, he made himself nothing. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.
God, I thank you that you've given us a way forward through these challenging times. And it's by looking at the laid down life of Jesus. It's by looking at the way that he looked at relationship, the way he navigated relationship. May we allow his life to come forward in us. Would we see one another through eyes of grace? Would we be able to consider even one that is conducting themselves in a way that we can't imagine conducting ourselves? Would we see them as better than ourselves? Would we consider others better than ourselves? Because we're united with you, Christ, and your death is in us. The willingness to die to self is in us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would quicken in us the question, is it? Is that dying to self in us? And so I pray that you would help us to put down agendas, to put down judgment, to literally be sickened at judgmental thoughts at times like this and realize they're just out of fear. They're just out of satanic bait. To just be so quick to recognize satanic bait that it's just coming out of fear and discomfort and just just fear (laughs) of losing that which is comfortable. And instead that we would lean into love, like a bigger love, like bigger hearts, bigger inclusive hearts, bigger hearts that are willing to, you know, Uh, take up for one another to a degree that we have not maybe before. So I just pray your blessing on Davia. I pray your blessing on her ministry, on her family. Thank you for her willingness to sacrifice this time. And thank you for all the listeners who have been willing to engage. I pray your blessing upon them and the various places that they are seeking to be light in dark places. Lord, that you would just continue to make us all um, vessels of your light that we would be lovers, that we would just seek to make you famous by our willingness to lay down our lives for one another. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.